And so tonight, we're starting this series, Oomph, right? Hashtag Oomph. How many of you have ever tweeted this before or ever retweeted? Yeah, yeah, I see the hands. I see the hands. Um, Chances are you've probably seen this. You've probably tweeted this. You've probably Instagrammed this. You've probably over-tweeted it, right, all over the place. Hashtag oomph. And for those of you that don't know, although I know that everyone in here knows, but in case you don't, this is what it means. It means one of my followers, right? Hashtag oomph means one of my followers. And it's crazy because as we've been, um, as we've been like preparing for this series and thinking about this series and talking about hashtag oomph, I've realized that uh, oomph is unbelievably popular. It's crazy popular. Like you probably know that oomph means one of my followers, but what you may not know is just how popular it is. In fact, since its inception, since it first began, oomph has been used over 200 million times. Over 200 million times people have tweeted out oomph, and and um, on average, that breaks down to it being used in more than 130,000 tweets per day. Like every day, 130,000 tweets going out with this hashtag oomph. And so we've been thinking about hashtag oomph and trying to figure out exactly why it's so popular, and I have two guesses. I have two guesses. Here's the first one. Because um, you subtweet like it's your job, okay? It's okay. It's fine. This is what happens, right? Like you got a crush on that girl, but you don't want to tell that girl. So instead you say, I have a crush on oomph, right? But that girl knows it's her and all your friends know that it's her. But then when she asks, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. That wasn't about you because you love to subtweet. I know you. Hey, it's cool. It's cool. You can subtweet. And also, I know that it also um, is used because sometimes you get like upset at someone. And so you put out this like angry tweet about oomph, right? About one of my followers. And then that follower knows it's all about them. And all your friends know that you're actually tweeting about that person. But then when it comes back to you, you're like, I don't, that's, you're talking about someone totally different, right? Because you love to subtweet. Um, and this is, this is some free advice. This isn't really part of, part of the series, but I want to help you out. If, if you uh, stop subtweeting, you'll actually take care of 90% of your drama in your life. I promise you. Just, just get rid of subtweeting and you'll get rid of the drama, but you don't want to do that because drama is fun. I get it. Okay. So here's reason number two. Reason number two, why you use oomph is because everyone follows someone. And this is actually in your notes. If you're keeping along, you can actually write it down. The reason that oomph is so popular. One of my followers is so popular is because everyone, everyone follows someone, right? Following is this, it's this universal language that we're all familiar with. And so whether or not you're on Twitter or you're on Instagram or you're not on any of that stuff, I know you and I know that everyone, everyone follows someone. And so for you, maybe the person that you follow is your coach. Maybe the person you follow is like your best friend, or maybe it's just like a few of your friends that you follow, or maybe you follow um, <clears throat> your boyfriend, right? Maybe, maybe your girlfriend. I mean, you guys are just talking, right? But I get it. I get it, right? You're following them. Uh, I know there's maybe like two people in the room that you follow your parents. Yeah, I'm just kidding. No, uh, there's no one in this room that follows their parents. Your parents would like it if you followed your parents, but that's okay. But everyone, listen, everyone, everyone follows someone, right? This is a, this is a universal language that we all speak. And whenever we talk about following, there's this phrase that usually goes along with following, and it's this. If you go, I'll go, right? Hey, if you go, I'll go. Man, man if you want to go there, I, all right, I'll go there, right? Like, 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 like you heard about that girl that's throwing the party, 
and you're not sure if you want to go and you're talking to your friend about it and you're like, I hear the party's going to be pretty fun, but I don't know. But if you go, I'll go, right? If you go, I'll go. Maybe, maybe you had a really like late night. You went to bed at like 3 a.m. because you were subtweeting all night long. It's okay. And, uh, and so you're really tired the next morning and you're talking to your friend on the phone and you're like, I really don't want to go to school. But if you go, if you go, I'll go. Right? In fact, for some of you, for some of you in the room, that's the reason you're here tonight. You've never been to M12 before and your friend invited you and they were like, you should come check out M12. I promise it's going to be awesome. And you're like, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. If you go, I'll go. Right? If you go, I'll go. And, and listen, this phrase is incredibly dangerous when it comes to guys. Okay, when guys get together, this is the worst phrase we could ever come up with. Because really what it translates to is, if you can be an idiot and still be alive, then I'm in. You know what I'm saying? Like if you can do something crazy and moronic and still somehow be breathing, then yes, right? If you go and do that, then I'll go. In fact, this, uh, this actually happened for me when I was in college. Uh, one of my buddies had the genius idea to climb on top of Stegman Coliseum. Okay, now, for those of you that don't know, Stegman Coliseum is a building on campus at UGA. This is actually the inside of it uh, right here, okay? And uh, it's beautiful. This is, this is where all of the basketball and volleyball and gymnastics happens. Um, if you actually graduate from UGA in December, this is where the graduation ceremony happens. It's a, it's a beautiful building. In fact, it's even more beautiful on the outside. This is a picture of what the outside um, looks like, right? This is, it's, it's like majestic. It's, it's, in fact, it's one of the biggest buildings on campus. And for whatever reason, when a guy sees something awesome, there's like, there's really only two things that we want to do. We want to either burn it or climb it. Like that's it. You know, if it can fit inside a microwave, I want to burn it. And if it's bigger than that, then I want to climb on top of it. And so this was, this was no exception. So one night my friend uh, came up to me and he said, Hey, you want to, you want to climb on top of Stegman Coliseum? And I was like, ah, dude, I don't know, man. It's like, it's dangerous. And, you know, we could get in trouble. Like the cops could get called. I'm sure it's like somehow illegal. But if you go, I'll go, right? If you go, I'll go. And so, and so pay attention right here at the top of Stegman Coliseum. This is the highest point of Stegman Coliseum. And then the next picture, this is what happened that night. Uh, that's me and three of my friends. And that's the top part right there. And that's Athens in the background. Um, so there we were on top. I know it's weird without glasses. I get it. And I've got a backwards hat because I thought that was cool. And we're staring off in the distance like we're so awesome, right? Whatever. Uh, so we were in college and we were dumb. By the way, um, the cops don't really know about this. So if we could keep that in this room, you know what I'm saying? We're just not going to tell our, tell our friends. And so even though this was dangerous and even though it was crazy and even though I didn't really want to do it, because one of my friends led the way, I followed, right? If you go, I'll go, right? Because we have following is this universal language that we all get. Everyone, everyone follows someone. And so the question, the question is not, do you follow? The question is, who? Who do you follow? It's not a question of whether or not you follow, because the answer is yes, you do. Everyone, everyone follows someone. But the question is, who? Do you follow? And I'm telling you, this question right here is of monumental importance. 
I mean, this question will have a direct impact on the rest of your life. Because listen, sometimes who you follow leads you to do something incredible. (laughs) And sometimes who you follow leads you to do something incredibly stupid, right? Sometimes, sometimes who you follow leads you to like make the greatest decision of your life. But sometimes, sometimes who you follow leads you to make the greatest mistake of your life. And here's why. It's because, because who you follow determines who you become. Who you follow determines who, beca- uh, who you become. If you want to look at what your life is going to look like in five or 10 years, look at the people around you that you follow. Maybe for you, it's a celebrity. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your friend. Maybe it's your boyfriend. Maybe it's your girlfriend. Maybe it's your coach. And who you follow, I'm telling you, who you follow matters because who you follow will determine who you become. If you want to know who you're going to be in the future, just look at who you're following. Following is everything. And listen, Jesus understood how important following was. He understood how, how dramatic and how much impact it would have on your life based on who you would actually follow. Jesus understood that who you follow determines who you become. And that's why, that's why when Jesus was gathering up his early disciples, like when he was getting the early Christians together, do you know what his invitation to them was? Is this, follow me. That is the first line that Jesus said to many of his disciples. Two words, follow me. Not, hey, you should really clean up your life. Not, hey, there's some things going on in life and I want to help you. Not, um, I'm starting this brand new religion and you should join. It'll be a lot of fun. Jesus didn't say any of that. What he said was two words, (laughs) two simple words, and yet two incredibly powerful words. Follow, follow me. And these words had such a dramatic impact on the early Christians. I'm telling you, these words meant everything to them. In fact, did you know, this is crazy. Did you know the term Christian, the term Christian is actually a made up word. This word right here is just made up. And here's the crazy part. (laughs) Jesus is not the one that made it up. Jesus never said that word. Jesus never said Christian. He never had a moment where he gathered up his disciples and said, and henceforth you shall be called Christians. He never said that. In fact, not even the Christians called themselves Christians. See, it was the people that weren't Christians, the people that weren't following Jesus. Those were the people that labeled others that were following Jesus Christians. It was crazy. See, Jesus never said this word Christian, but here's what he did say. He said, I am the way I'm the truth and I am the life. He said, follow me because I'm the way. Follow me because I'm the way out. Follow me because I'm the way to the father. Follow me because I am the new way of life. And so the early Christians, the early disciples, they didn't call themselves Christians. What they called themselves was followers of the way. This is how they labeled themselves. This was their identity. Followers of the way, not Christians, but followers of the way, because they knew that who you follow determines who you become. And so they labeled themselves. They gave themselves a name of followers of the way. And here's what that means for you. If you uh, are a Christian, if you have said yes to Jesus and you've accepted Jesus as your savior, if, if, if Jesus is your identity, that means you too are a follower of the way, which means when God looks at you, He calls you, oomph, one of my followers. 
right? He looks at you and he says, oomph. There he is. He's, he's one of my followers. There she is. She's one of my followers. See, this was their identity and this should be our identity too, is that we should be followers of the way. And if that's true for you, if, if, if you would say, I've accepted Jesus as my savior and I love Jesus and I'm a follower of the way, then this next question is so important for you. And here it is. It's simple. What does it look like? What does it look like for you to be a follower of Jesus? Not a Christian, but a follower of Jesus. Someone who's committed first and foremost to following. And the best news for us is that Jesus actually gave us the answer to this question. He didn't leave us to guess what the answer was. And so he actually laid it out to his closest followers. And I want to read that together as it's found in John chapter 13. So do this, go ahead, grab your Bibles. They should be right in front of you. If you don't have one, there's some right beside you and also in front. We're going to look at John chapter 13, uh, which is going to be on page 1080 page 1080. We're going to look at John chapter 13. And here's the cool thing about John. Um, John was most likely written by a guy named John. Very good. Very good. Uh, Most likely written by a guy named John. Now here's the cool thing about John. John was not only a follower of Jesus, but, but John was actually considered by many historians to be the closest follower of Jesus. See, sometimes we don't like to think of Jesus like playing favorites. Um, And yet Jesus had all these followers, but he only had 12 disciples, right? Those were his closest followers. And then of those 12 disciples, he had this inner circle of three guys, Peter, James, and John. And then even within that inner circle, he had one guy that he poured more of his life into than anyone else. And that's John. So John is the closest follower, which means the stuff that John wrote down were actually some of the closest, most intimate conversations Jesus had with the people that were closest to him, which means they're a lot different than other things that we read because we're reading it as a firsthand account from someone who was closer to Jesus than anyone else. And John knew that Jesus was getting ready to go die on the cross when he wrote this. And Jesus knew that too. And so what he did was he gathered up his disciples, his closest followers, and he said, I want to tell you the most important thing. I want to give you my final words. And this is how he starts. He says, my children. And this is, um, this, these two words mean a lot to me because I know this is weird. Uh, my wife and I, we don't have any kids yet. And so in a weird sort of way, I almost consider you to be my kids, um, which is awesome, right? We're, we're like a big family. And, uh, and so I love you and I pray for you, and I care about you. And every week I look forward to seeing you and hanging out with you and hearing about your story. And so, and so in a weird sort of way, it's almost like, like when I look at you, I'm like, oh, my children. And yet Jesus, that's how he looked at his followers. And that's how he looks at you too, is he would say the most intimate term, my children, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm getting ready to go to the cross. I'm getting ready to die for you. I only have a little bit of time, so pay attention because I have something very important to tell you. He says, you will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now, this last sentence is kind of weird. And um, when you first look at it, it's easy to think that Jesus is talking about heaven right? Where I'm going, you cannot come. He's talking about heaven. And then you start thinking about it for a little bit. And you're like, wait, where you're going, I can't come. Wait, I can't come to heaven? And you start getting really worried. And the good news for you is that he wasn't talking about heaven. 
He wasn't. Even though at first when you look at this, it's easy to think that Jesus was actually not talking about heaven. What he was talking about was the cross. Jesus said, I'm getting ready to go do something that no one else has done before. I'm getting ready to go somewhere that no one else has been. Because I'm getting ready to do for you what no one else has done for you in that I'm going to lay down my life for you because I love you that much. Because I care for you that much, I'm going to sacrifice myself on the cross. And no one has ever done that for you. No one has ever loved you as much as I love you. And no one ever will because where I'm going, you cannot come. No one has ever shown you as much love as I am getting ready to show you. Where I'm going, no one knows what it's like. Where I'm going, you can't come. And then he goes on and he says this, a new command I give you, a new command I give you. And at this point, all the disciples are gathered up around Jesus and they're at the edge of their seat. They wanna know what is Jesus getting ready to say? We've listened to the sky. We've talked to the sky for many years. And now at the end of his life, he's giving us a new command. What is it? What's the new thing Jesus is getting ready to say? And he says this, he says, love one another. But, uh, but that's, uh, poof, this is awkward. Jesus, um, we've heard you say that before. You said like, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And that looks a lot, that doesn't seem that new. I, Jesus, do you know what new means, right? Like a new command, love, I've heard that before, right? You've heard that before. That's not new. That's not new. And yet what Jesus was saying is not that this word is new. See, this word is old. And chances are you have a definition for what you think love is. So for Jesus, the word was not the new thing. The definition was the new thing. Jesus said, I want to tell you something new. And the new thing I want to tell you is to love one another. And the definition I'm giving you is brand new. And the standard that I'm holding you to is brand new. And the way that you're going to love people is brand new. Because my definition is this. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, I want your definition for love for one another to be totally different than what it's been before, to be totally different than what you're used to. I want you to do something that no one has ever seen before. I want you to love each other like I have loved you. And no one has ever done that. See, because no one has ever died on the cross for someone else. No one has ever given their life because they care so much for someone else. And now Jesus is saying, this is new. I want you to love as I have loved you. We even sang it just a second ago. Show me how to love like you have loved me. And then he sums it up in verse 35. He says, by this. <laughs> he said, this is so huge that if this is the only thing you do, if you forget everything else, if this is the one thing you pay attention to, by this one thing, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Everyone will know that you are a follower of the way if you love one another. A new command I give you, not the old way of loving people, not the way that you're comfortable with, but a new kind of love, the same kind of love that I, that I'm showing to you. See, when you're following after Jesus, you begin to look like Jesus. And you look like Jesus when you love like Jesus. Jesus said the number one thing, the number one way people will know that you are my disciple is when you actually love like I have loved you. Not the way that you're used to loving, but loving in a brand new way. Loving 
like Jesus. See, this past summer, um, we had a chance as a group to go to NTS camp, which was awesome. That's right. Green team, scheme team. It was awesome. We loved, uh, we loved being there. Um, and uh, by the way, if you loved camp, like if you were all about NTS camp, you are going to love DIG. It's incredible. DIG is coming up in February, February 20th through the 22nd. And listen, if you loved camp, I'm telling you, you got to sign up for DIG. Go ahead, talk to your parents, say, I want to go to DIG. It's incredible. And if you already went to DIG last year, you know how great it is. I don't have to have to convince you. It's incredible. But, but, okay, back to, back to NTS camp. So, so I love being at NTS camp. There were many, many incredible experiences. And one of my favorite, and for those of you that went, you know all about this. One of my favorite experiences was the share square. And uh, here's, here's what the share square was. It's, it's, it's really simple. Uh, I, drew, I drew a square, right? That's where the name comes from, um, with my foot. And I said, if you want to come up and tell other people about what God is doing in your life, then this is your opportunity. So you stand right here in the imaginary square. And what's crazy is that so many of you that went to camp actually did that, that you wanted to tell your friends just how much God was doing in your life. And on this one particular occasion, a kid stood up there and began, began to share. And he, uh, he started pouring out his heart about what was going on with his family. And he said, uh, he said things are pretty rough for my family right now. Um, we're, we're, we're struggling financially. And we don't, um, my parents have been like behind on, on the house payments. And, uh, before I came to camp, I found out that they were actually evicted from their home, which means that when I get back from camp, I, I don't know where I'm going to live. And as he's sharing this story with us, my, my heart is breaking, and all the adult leaders and all the students are listening in, and we're, and we're crying with this kid because we care so much for him. And here he is sharing, pouring out his heart. And so what we did at the end of like the share square is after a student was done, I would invite a few people to come up and, and to pray for that student. And I said, hey, would anyone like to pray for the student? And everyone came forward, everyone. We've actually got a picture of it. This is, uh, this is what it looked like. <laughs> this, is, this is what it looked like. And this was, this was every student that was there and every adult leader gathered up loving this kid that was sharing the story about his parents. And he, um, after we were done, you know, we're like wiping away the tears. And the next thing on the schedule for that day was to actually um, have a time alone with God where we would split up by yourself and you'd read scripture and you'd pray. And then the next thing on the agenda was to go to lunch right after that. And so as we're walking to lunch, this kid who stood up and shared in front of everyone came up to me and said, hey, Steve, can I talk to you for a second? And I was like, yeah, Holy man, tell me what's, what's, what's going on. And he said, so I was having my time alone with God and, and I was reading in scripture and, uh, and I accepted Jesus as my savior. <laughs> and I was like, what? That's huge. Dude, that's amazing. Like that, oh my gosh. And we began to like celebrate and just talk about how good God is, um, that, that, that he loved us that much and that he would, he would actually save us. Um, and so I was, I was just like too, I was, I was too curious, you know, I had to know exactly what, um, like what, what actually prompted him 
to make that decision? Like, like why now? You know, like why all of a sudden um, is it is it making sense for him? And so I asked him. I said, dude, why? I know you've been a part of of M12 for quite a while. Like, why why all of a sudden? Sorry about that. Why um why now? He said, I've been coming to M12 for quite some time. And uh, and I've heard all about the fact that like Jesus loves me, you know, and and, and I heard that he sent um, that, that that God sent Jesus to actually die for me. Um, but for whatever reason, I just I just never really like knew it. And then when everyone came and they prayed for me, <laughs> then I knew it. And then I'll never forget what he said next. He said, he said, I knew that Jesus loved me because they loved me. <laughs> See, you did that. You showed him love and it forever changed his life. You were Jesus to the student. And even though he had heard all about Jesus, it was the way that you loved him that forever changed his life. Because listen, listen, you look like Jesus when you love like Jesus. You look like Jesus when you love like Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, by this one thing, everyone will know that you're my disciple. By this one thing, by the way that you love one another. You look like Jesus when you love like Jesus. And so the question for tonight is this. How can you love like Jesus? Like, what does it look like for you to love like Jesus? And I've got, I've got a few ideas as I've been praying for you and thinking about you. I think, I think there's three things that we can do to love, not like we're used to loving, but love like Jesus loved us. Here's the first one. Forgive one another. Forgive one another. And uh, by the way, forgiveness is so easy when someone doesn't really do anything wrong against you. You know, forgiveness is so easy when it's like that person that you've met once and they just said something that was kind of mean, but it didn't really hurt that bad. That's easy to forgive. But you know what's difficult is when you've got that friend that like knows you better than anyone else knows you and they know the stuff about you that you haven't told anyone else and then they know you so intimately and they use that against you and they hurt you and they hurt you worse than anyone else has ever hurt you. That is what feels impossible to forgive. And yet Jesus would say, if you want to love like Jesus loved, you would forgive one another. And for some of you, for some of you, the person that you need to forgive is at home. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's like a brother or a sister. Or maybe, maybe the person you need to forgive is actually in this room. And you've agreed to sit on opposite ends of the room and that, you know, you're going to go that way. I'm going to go this way and we're going to try and keep peace. But in your heart, you haven't forgiven them because what they did in your mind is unforgivable. And yet Jesus would say to us, I'm giving you a new command, something totally different than you've ever done before. And I want you to forgive one another, like actually forgive one another. To love them, you would actually go through the hard process of forgiving one another. The next thing is to apologize to one another. And this is something that we all hate to do. No one likes to apologize. No one likes to admit they're wrong. That's why whenever you're in conflict with someone else, that's why whenever there's like a disagreement between you and your friend, it's always their fault. 
right? Because they started it. Okay, well, I started it, but they finished it, you know? Like it's their, it's their fault. You don't want to take the blame. You don't want to take ownership. You don't want to apologize. And yet Jesus would say, if you want to love one another, then you would own the peace that's yours to own. Because in every conflict, there's at least a little slice of the pie that's your, that's your fault. And maybe they're the ones that are 99% in the wrong and you are just in the wrong by 1%. And yet Jesus would say, apologize. If you want to love one another like Jesus loved, you'd apologize to one another. And then here's the last one. To include one another. To actually include one another. Because I know, I know that it's easy to come to M12 and to hang out and you're, you know, you're like sitting together and it's you and you're like four friends and you love it that way and you want it to stay that way and there's no reason for you to reach out to anyone else. But can you imagine how, how differently that story would have been from the share square? If this kid stood up and he began to pour his heart out and no one listened. Can, can you imagine how different it would have been if after he was done, no one cried, no one cared, no one prayed for him? Can you imagine how differently it would have been for him if no one included him? And, and there are literally students in this room that are just like him, that are just as broken and they're hurting just as bad and they're waiting so desperately for you to include them. And Jesus would say, there's a new way to love and it's different than anything you've ever done before. And it involves you getting out of your comfort zone and including one another, including the people that are different from you, including the people that are in a different grade than you, including the people that go to a different school than you. Maybe, maybe for you, you can love one another simply by including one another. And this, by the way, this feels impossible, right? It feels so difficult to forgive one another. It feels so difficult to actually apologize to one another. Maybe for you, it feels impossible to include one another. But here's the reason why this is actually possible for you. The reason it's possible for you to love like Jesus is because Jesus led the way and we're just following. It's because Jesus forgave you. Jesus forgave you. He's asking you to forgive someone else because he first forgave you. He knows all the stuff that you've done, all the things that maybe your other friends or family wouldn't forgive. And yet he led the way and he loved you so much that he forgave you. He's asking you to apologize and own up to what you've done because he already knows what you've done and he already forgives it. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to pretend to be better than you actually are. You can be honest with one another. You can own up to what you've done. Even if it's just a small thing, you can actually apologize. And you can include one another because the God of the universe, the God of the universe that created everything that you see, all the stars in the sky, all the trees that are outside, every rock that you've ever like turned over, every single thing God has made. And yet the God of the universe has included you into his family. And he didn't have to do that. Remember, Jesus said, my children, he included you. And now he's asking you to include one another, to love one another like Jesus loved you. And so maybe tonight, maybe tonight, you need to go have a conversation with someone in this room. 
or maybe you need to go have a conversation with someone at home. Or maybe tomorrow at school when you see that person that you haven't talked to and that you've been trying to avoid, maybe tomorrow is the day that you begin the process of forgiving them or apologizing to them. <laughs> what would it look like? What would it look like if, if, if at your school, uh, when you're like, you know, sitting there for lunch, what if you included him? What if you actually included her? Like, what would it look like if, if, if just the people in this room, what if we stopped settling for just being Christians? And what if we were followers? Jesus, you led the way. I'm going to follow. I'm going to love like you loved me. How different? How different would this room be? How different would your schools be? How different would your home be? If we were committed to first and foremost being a follower of Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, I am I'm so grateful for these students and I care for them. You know I do. And I, uh, God, we love you and we're so grateful that you first loved us because you did not have to. And yet you went out of your way to forgive us. <laughs> you went out of our way to accept our apology. You went out of your way to include us into your family. And so now, God, we want to tell you that we want to follow you. We do. We don't want to settle anymore for just being Christians. We don't want to settle anymore for just doing the things that people have done before or just loving people the way we've loved before. God, we want to tell you right now that we want to love the way that you have loved us. So would you help us to be a follower of the way and to love like Jesus actually loved us. I pray that the students in this room, you would give them the boldness and the courage to actually go do this because I know it's difficult. But if they need to have a conversation, I pray that you would stir something in their heart right now that they would have that conversation, that they would apologize or they would say, I forgive you. Or they would simply reach out to someone who has not been included and actually include them. God, would you help us be a follower? Thank you for showing us the way. In Jesus' name, amen.